as we have mentioned from time to time over the last year or so, as we moved into our, our new home and we now, uh, we now have a neighborhood in which we live, uh, we're really trying to focus uh, our, our attention and our thought on what it means to have a fuller understanding of biblical justice and mercy. And our emphasis there is on the term biblical. There are a lot of definitions floating around out there about justice and mercy. We're very concerned about what does God say about this, because he's the author of both of these things, both justice and mercy. So to that end, uh, we want to begin this journey in earnest. We want to be intentional uh, about progress in this area. So I want to mention two things. Uh, that are coming up right around the corner. The first is a Sunday school class that begins next week, and it goes for four consecutive Sundays, and it's uh, biblical justice and mercy. We're trying to kind of use the same language all the way through so you're never uh, confused about it. We want to invite you uh, to join that class next week. Uh, we're also starting uh, several Bible studies this fall on Tim Keller's book, uh, Generous Justice. And so if you, uh, if you can't avail yourself to the Sunday school class, but you would like to uh, jump into this learning process with us, uh, when you leave this morning, you go out to the table in the atrium, you can sign up for one of the small groups. There are several different nights during the week when those groups are going to meet. They'll, uh, they'll be kicking off in early October. Uh, and we'll be going for different lengths of time, depending on if you meet every week or every other week. But there are a lot of different options. Uh, and so if you'd like to, to sign up for a group, you can do that out in the atrium. Uh, or you can go to our website, and you can click on the website, and you'll, you'll see that information there. But we, uh, we want to be very intentional. As a congregation, we want to be studying this question together. So let me strongly encourage you to, uh, to sign up. Uh, or to just show up. Uh, you don't have to sign up for Sunday school. You can just show up for Sunday school. Uh, where that hopefully is leading us is to active lives of justice and mercy according to God. And so one of uh, those acts of mercy, uh, one of the ways that we can help encourage our community is through affordable Christmas. And for the last nine months, you've been, uh, you've been seeing the sign, you've been seeing the box out in the lobby uh, about affordable Christmas. Our goal is to, in early December, have a store downstairs where people can come and purchase items for their family for Christmas. We're doing this in conjunction with the Kirkwood School District. The school counselors are helping us identify families that would most benefit from this. And they will be uh, allowed to come and to shop, uh, invited to come and shop for a fraction of the cost uh, of what those gifts would be. And we are, as a congregation, providing the, the gifts. So uh, each month there's a different focus. Uh, and this has been in the bulletin throughout the spring and through the summer, but now summer's over and we really got to ramp it up. We got to play a little catch up ball. We're a little bit behind in the gifts. And so we want to uh, roll this out right now. In September, we're looking for clothing. Uh, now, let me just remind you, it's new clothing. It's not used clothing. Uh, if you have a hard time remembering and you walk out and you come back in next Sunday and you go, Doc, I should have grabbed those clothes and I completely forgot. Uh, we have a tree out in, the, uh, out in the atrium and it's an apple tree right now. Next month, I think it's going to be a pumpkin field, uh, but for September, it's an apple tree. So if you have a hard time remembering like I do, you can stop by this morning and you can get your apple. So I have a, uh, an outfit for a uh, high school girl, medium, uh, one top and one bottom. So clearly, Cindy will be doing this shopping, and I'll be providing the funding uh, for that. Uh, but we want to put legs on what we say we believe, brothers and sisters. Uh, what good does it do a person? 
uh, to say to someone who's in need, go be well fed and be warm and do nothing to lift a finger to help them. Uh, So we want to be very intentional, not only about our study of God's word, but the application thereof. So let me invite you to uh, join us not only in the study, but also join us in affordable Christmas and providing for those who are struggling a bit. Let me invite you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. We'll be there in just a moment or two, but let me recap where we have been this year because this morning we're turning the page to the final chapter uh, in our tagline series, Dig In, Branch Out, and Live It Up. If you've been around for a little while, you may remember somewhere in the back of your mind these verses that are on the screen behind me. You might look at those and go, I think maybe I heard those somewhere before. Uh, That's because every Sunday in January through March, uh, we put portions of that on the screen and together we recited and we memorized Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 18, which is about digging into Christ. So just for the fun of it, I'm not going to make you stand up this morning, but let's take a stroll down memory lane and let's say these verses together. Would you read with me? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Outstanding. You probably could have closed your eyes and done that, but I, I didn't want to put you on the, on the spot this morning. And so we spent the, uh, the winter into the early spring digging in to Jesus, and we did that through a study in the book of Colossians. And then we moved from that later on in the spring into the early summer months to our second part of our tagline, which is to branch out. Uh, and the notion there that we looked at was engaging with our world for the cause of Christ. And the foundational verses, although we didn't, we didn't memorize those, but we, we introduced that sermon series by looking at Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus tells his disciples, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others that they would see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And so we understood from the, the branch out tagline as we looked at different uh, issues in our culture, uh, different ways that we could have an impact for the cause of Christ, uh, for his glory, uh, and sharing his gospel. And then we took a break over the summer and we, we did some other things. And now we come this morning to the third part of our sermon series, third part of our tagline, the final piece, which is live it up. In other words, what impact of this new life that we have in Christ, what impact does that have on our inner life, on the choices that we make, the priorities that you and I set for ourselves, the lifestyles that we choose to live? Uh, All of that comes from the depth of our relationship with Christ. If my relationship with Jesus is shallow, uh, then I'm probably going to experience less of living it up the way Jesus intended than I should. If I go deeper into his lordship in my life, if I really begin to embrace my identity as a follower of Jesus, then I will have this experience of living it up, not as the world defines, we're going to see a little bit of that as we go through this series, but as Jesus defines. And so we're going to introduce that this morning. Uh, By looking at a conversation, not so much a teaching, but a conversation that Jesus was having with his 12 disciples. And we're going to begin with the most important question that anybody 
living in any generation needs to ask and answer. Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through 25. You can follow along in your own Bibles, or you can follow along on the screen here, the Word of God. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word to him alone be glory. Let's pray together. Father, we pray this morning for illumination. Lord, we have at times, or I should say, I have at times a hard heart and a thick head. And the last thing that I want to do is listen. I have all the answers I need. And I do just fine on my own. Thank you very much. But Father, you call us to a deeper way of life. You call us to a more profound way of belief and of faith. You call us to a true change of identity through the Lord Jesus and what he has done for us on the cross. And so as we begin to talk about what it means to have a full and abundant life for the next few weeks, we pray that your will would be done in our hearts and our minds, that that we wouldn't be thick-headed, that we wouldn't be hard-hearted, but that we would be teachable and malleable, that we would be humble and that we would come seeking and longing to hear from you, not from the preacher, not, not, not from any of his words, but from your divine, holy, perfect, eternal truth. Lord, there are so many messages in our culture today saying so many different things. It almost makes our heads spin. So, Father, as we, we come together this morning claiming to be followers of Jesus, maybe some of us claiming to be seekers and uh, people who are interested in spiritual things, maybe others who are here out of politeness because they came with a friend or a family member and, and really faith isn't something on, on their radar screen. Lord, whatever reason that brought us through these doors, we pray that your sovereign will would be done and that you would say to us exactly what we need to hear. We thank you that you're more than capable of doing this, that you can speak into every human heart simultaneously a million different messages. So, Lord, we are in awe of you. We do bow before you. And we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would be our teacher. Father, forgive me for my sin. Please don't let me block what anyone would learn or understand this morning of your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the sermon in the sense this morning, if you want to know kind of where we're going and where we hope to end up and where we want to say the beginning and the middle and the end, it's simply this. One can only have true life by abandoning the notion of self-reliance and embracing the lordship of Jesus Christ. 
One can only have true life by abandoning the notion of self-reliance and embracing the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus is saying to his disciples in this text. It's what he's saying to you and me this morning. Now, you might look at that and say, that sounds pretty close-minded to me. Who does Jesus think he is? And that would be a good question for you to consider this morning. You may be looking at that and going, you know, I know that's true, but boy, I really struggle with how to live that out in my life. And you know what? That's a really good thought this morning because Christ calls us to a life of following him. As we're going to see this morning, he calls us to walk away from something and to embrace something entirely different. And so you might be sitting here this morning and go, man, that's exactly right. That's where I want to live and I'm making some progress, but it is a struggle. And that's a good thought because none of us are home yet. We got a ways to go. And there's always opportunity for growth and for renewal and for a spirit that's going deeper into our relationship with Christ. So let's look at this passage and, and let's listen to what Jesus is saying. The first thing Jesus does is he asks a very simple question, right? So they're off away from the crowds. He's been praying and now he's got the group of 12 guys around him. And he says, hey, let me ask you a question. Who, who do folks say that I am? Now, this is a very general question. This is, this is a, a, a very safe question. There's no pressure to this answer. This is, would actually be a safe cocktail party question. So, so put yourself at a, at a business gathering or a fundraiser or some other social event, maybe a wedding, and you could toss this question out and no one would be grossly offended by it because you're not getting very specific. Hey, who do people, who do people think Jesus was? Who do think who do people think Jesus is today? And people will gladly join in to that conversation because we all love to pontificate. We all love to share the depth and breadth of our knowledge. And we all like a good, interesting conversation as long as it doesn't get too personal, right? So Jesus tosses out something. There could be some lively debate, but there isn't going to be anything that's going to be really difficult. We could maybe all just kind of agree to disagree and go on to the next particular topic. Quite frankly, talking about, about Hillary or Donald would be a lot more gas on the fire these days than, than tossing out the notion of, hey, what do you, who do you think Jesus was, right? So it's a relatively safe, general question. And the answer that the disciples give reflect that, you know, we're just kind of chatting here. And they said, well, you know, some people think you're John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist actually was dead at this point. So if he was John the Baptist raised from the dead, that, that'd be kind of a cool thing. I mean, that'd be kind of neat to see, wouldn't it? You'd, you'd go out of your way to, to watch that for a few minutes, wouldn't you? I would. Some people say you're Elijah. That's another guy who's been dead a long time, right? Elijah was a guy that lived a lot of years before Jesus was born. And if Elijah came back, that would even be maybe a little cooler. I mean, John the Baptist hadn't been dead that long. I don't know, maybe it's harder to raise somebody that's been dead a long time than somebody that's been dead just, you know, a couple of months. But that'd be interesting. Other people say you're one of the other prophets of old who has risen, okay? So there's no, it's an impressive list, right? It would be cool to see, but it wouldn't change your life. It wouldn't, it wouldn't radically upset the apple cart. If someone from, from the past history of America walked in the door today, we would be, who was dead, we'd be astounded. It would be pretty amazing. We'd have lots of questions. And then we'd go to lunch and get some potato salad and a ham sandwich. And, and we'd say, you're not going to believe what we saw this morning. But it wouldn't really change how we live. Wouldn't impact our lives. It's an impressive list, but with no significant implications. But then Jesus turns the corner and he asks the real question that we need to wrestle with this morning. But then he said to them, who do you 
say that I am? In the Greek, it literally reads, you, who do you say that I am? All of a sudden, it's gotten intensely personal. The, the, the cocktail party just got real interesting, okay? So switch gears the next time you're at a social event, right? Hey, what does everybody think of Jesus? And then pick one person out and say, but you, who do you say that Jesus is? We'd all like to hear from you, right? You will never be invited back to that party again <laughs> the rest of your life, right? Now it's getting, some of you right now are getting a little uncomfortable, aren't you? Admit it. It's just, oh gosh, I, I don't know that I want to stand up and get into that. I don't want the spotlight shining on me, right? The party just got very interesting because Jesus knows it must be intensely personal. Jesus knows that the most important question you can ever answer in your life the most important question I can ever answer in my life, the most important question anybody can ever answer in their life is this question. Who do you say I am? And Peter speaks up for the group and he says, you're the Christ. You're the, you're the son of God, right? You are the Christ of God. Peter offers uh, a game changer, right? If this is true, we've gone way beyond John the Baptist coming back after he's been dead. We've gone way beyond Elijah. If you didn't know anything at all about the Old Testament, and if you don't know anything at all about the Old Testament, let me reassure you this morning, or assure you this morning, that when Peter says you are the Christ of God, he just made an amazing statement. This is what the entire Old Testament is all about. It's about the coming of God's Messiah, his chosen one, the Savior, the Redeemer, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords. And we're standing by a lake, and we're looking at a mountain in the background. We're having a conversation, and all of a sudden, the stakes just went through the roof. Because if this is true, it changes everything. We begin with a simple question, and yet it, it, it ramps up pretty quickly. The second thing we see about Jesus in this conversation is he gives both confirmation and correction. First thing he says is, after Peter says, you're the Christ, uh, he strictly commanded them to tell this to no one. And then he goes on to talk about himself, which we'll come to in a minute. The son of man is a, is a term that Jesus uses for himself. So he's not talking about someone else. He's actually talking about himself. But the first thing he does is confirm when he says to the disciples, don't tell anyone right? He's not saying to them, oh, no, 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 wait, that's wrong. Don't, don't ever say that again. No, you, Miss Peter, you misunderstood. I'm not the Messiah. He doesn't say that. He says, now that you know this, I got to tell you something. I don't want you to say anything about it yet. Jesus confirms that what Peter said is true. So whatever you think about Jesus this morning, whatever I think about Jesus this morning, we have to understand what he thinks about himself. And what he thinks about himself is that he is on par with God, eternal, holy, and perfect that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords and that he has the compassion and the right to speak into each one of our lives. And so the first thing he does is he confirms that, that Peter's not wrong, that what Peter said is correct, but he also offers a correction because you see, people in, in, in Jesus' day and people in our day, quite frankly, if you're looking for a Messiah, you're looking for a big shot. You're looking for, you're looking for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to come with authority and with power. In Peter's day, they, they wanted somebody to come, the Jewish nation wanted somebody to come and crush the Romans and drive them out of, of the promised land so that they could get back to being a, a holistic nation and, and, and begin to live their lives the way they believed they were called to. And they saw the Messiah as the one who was going to, to reestablish that. 
But Jesus says the Messiah is not what you assume, Peter. It's not what you assume, nation of Israel. It's not what you assume, folks at Green Tree Community Church. Uh, God's Messiah is taking on a whole different role. The Son of Man must suffer many things to be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Jesus says the Messiah is not what you assume. The Messiah, notice the word must. He must suffer, be killed, and rise. Why is that? Well, it's because you and I need salvation. It's because you and I have sinned against God. We've violated his commands. We've broken covenant with him. God gave us a perfect world in which to live, and our first parents ruined it. And ever since then, we've been really good at following up on their work and just building on it and making it uglier and making it worse as we've gone along. There isn't anybody in the world that's innocent. There isn't anybody in the world that's pure. We've all gone against God's will, and by doing so, we've hurt one another. The biggest, the biggest ripple effects of your sin and my sin aren't even necessarily on our own lives. It's what we do to others. We need salvation. We need a Savior. And that's why the Messiah corrected Peter. This is what must happen if there's going to be grace. If there's going to be the two things we're, we want to talk about as a congregation, if there's going to be justice and there's going to be mercy, and those two things are going to come together perfectly, there's only one way for that to happen. The Messiah must suffer, be rejected, die, and rise again. So Jesus confirms and he corrects. But then he also creates a, a kind of a twofold pathway for his disciples to follow. Look at verse 23. He says to all of them there, if anyone would come after me, if anybody would believe this about me, if anyone would embrace the fact that I am the Messiah, that I am the chosen one of God, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, what we want to read there is when, if anybody is going to believe in me, let them come to church and sing songs and worship and have a great time. If anybody would believe in me, let them, you know, have a good quiet time in the morning and then go on about their day and just enjoy life. And, and I'm going to make everything just wonderfully easy and simple and delightful for you. That's what we want to read into that text. And just as Jesus needed to correct the disciples understanding the Messiah, he also needed to correct the disciples understanding of the disciples and their life and their experience and your life and my life and our experience. And so Jesus creates a pathway that has two steps. The first one is a daily ongoing denial of what? Let him deny himself. Well, what are we, what are we denying? I believe what Jesus is saying there is that we're denying the world's empty promise that says get more and live for yourself. To accumulate whether it's wealth or power or fame or prestige, whatever you would, would fill in that blank, whatever you put in that, that holding place there, whatever it is for you to really be truly happy. How would you answer that question this morning? For me to be really, truly happy, I just need what? Could be a relationship, could be wealth, could be a lot of different things. But think about the, 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 the pursuit of those things. Think about where those end. Think about a guy who literally has everything this world has to offer and then some, right? One of the greatest theologians walking around on the planet today, still, I think, walking around the planet today, Mick Jagger, right? What did Mick, <laughs> young people are going, who? Dad, who is that? Right? Okay. Right. And the other people are going, I, I, did he say Mick Jagger? I, I've heard him so many times, I think my ears hurt. Maybe I got there. What did Mick Jagger say? I've pursued everything. I've, I've denied myself nothing. I mean, he could, have, he could have written Ecclesiastes, and then he said, I can't get no satisfaction. I just, it's just eluding me. Nothing ultimately satisfies. And Jesus understands that. 
So he says, if you want true life, if you want, if you want what really is going to ultimately satisfy eternally, is going to matter eternally, daily, ongoing denial, ignore what the world says, deny yourself. Don't make yourself the center of the universe. Make me the center of your universe. Trust me. And then daily, ongoing, intentionally identifying yourself with Jesus. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Following Jesus, embracing everything that that means. Let me give you a a quote from a couple of different theologians. Uh, One is a guy named Leon Morris, and the second guy is uh, a theologian named Hendrickson, and they're talking about this notion of taking up uh, our cross daily, identifying with Jesus. And here's what they say. I'll go with Morris first. The follower of Jesus must deny himself, herself. He cannot be self-centered. There is nothing self-indulgent about being a Christian. The disciple had probably seen a man take up his cross, and they knew what it meant. When a man from one of their villages took up a cross and went off with a little band of Roman soldiers, he was on a one-way journey. He would not be back. Taking up the cross meant the utmost in self-denial. This is Luke's first use of the word cross in his gospel, and it comes with a striking effect. Christ's follower has died to a whole way of life. Luke tells us that this is not something that can be finished and got out of the way. It must be done daily. And then Hendrickson follows it up with, I think, a very important point. He says, secondly, he must take up his cross. The underlying figure is that of a condemned man who is forced to take up and carry his own cross to the place of execution. However, what the convict does under under duress, the disciple of Christ does willingly. He voluntarily and decisively accepts pain, shame, and persecution that is going to be his particular, his, not someone else's lot, because of his loyalty to Christ and his cause. Jesus says, deny yourself, but he also says, identify yourself with me. Let people know that you belong to me. Don't try to hide it. Don't try to conceal it. Take up your cross and, and, and be identified as a follower of Jesus. Um, so some of you know that I do work with folks that are, that are uh, starting new churches, church planting. And I always do an exercise with them to help them uh, figure out who they really are. And I, and I set up a scene like, a, like I did earlier. You know, you're at a party or you're at a social gathering. Uh, and I'll get to them to kind of stand up and role play. And they'll introduce themselves to each other. And then I assign one person the task of saying to the other person, now tell me a little bit about yourself. And I thought of doing that this morning, but, but we don't have enough time. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay on task here. But what would you say if someone said, now tell me a little bit about yourself, right? Most of us would talk about, you know, our, our job or maybe our family or maybe where we're from or in St. Louis, you might talk about where you went to high school, something like that. We keep it kind of at the surface. And then I tell them when, when someone asks me that question, I say this to them now, I say one of, I say, I have two answers. I can give you kind of the casual, easygoing answer, but I have a much more significant answer that really defines my life. You tell me which one you want and I'll give you either one. It doesn't matter to me. Well, what are you going to ask for, <laughs> right? That makes you a little bit curious, right? So nine times out of 10, people say, even people who are Uber riders say, tell me, the, tell me the more significant meaning. I say, well, here's what gets me out of bed in the morning. I will glorify and enjoy God by creating pathways of influence so the entire world can hear the gospel of Jesus. That's what gets me out of bed in the morning. 
And then the conversation either quickly shifts <laughs> to whether or not the Cardinals are going to win today, right? Or tell me a little bit more about that. But I don't do that for that person's benefit. I actually do it for my own discipline. Because I want to be reminded that my Savior calls me to identify with him every day, all the time. And I don't ever want to shirk that opportunity. I want to be known as somebody who's following Jesus. I want you to be known if you're a disciple as someone who's following Jesus. And more importantly, Jesus wants that for us. And so he says, here's the pathway. Deny yourself. Ignore what the world says will will bring you hope and, and, and relief and joy. And take up your cross. Identify with me and follow me. And then he gives us a unique understanding of why this is so important. Look at verse 24. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Notice that word very carefully. It's not up for debate. It's not up for discussion. If I go the way of the world, I'm going to lose my life. But whoever loses his life for my sake, whoever, whoever gives his life to me, whoever, whoever entrusts his life or her life to me, whoever comes to me in faith and says, Lord Jesus, I believe that you're going to give me new life and my hope is now in you. I'm now your disciple. I'm now going to follow you the rest of my life. You will have life. You will be saved. Jesus hits on a common theme that everyone wants life. Everyone wants meaning. Everyone wants happiness. But Jesus turns the assumption of how to achieve that life on its head. The way up is down. It's the opposite of the world's paradigm. You strive to save your life by your own means, by what the world tells you is important, you're going to lose it. But if you give it to me, if you just let it go, as you die to yourself and trust me, that's how you live the way uh, the way up is down. Um, you remember all the disaster movies that came out in the 70s? If you're old enough to have lived through those wonderful years. They had Towering Inferno and all those different movies. Anybody remember the Poseidon Adventure, right? The, 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 the ship is on its last journey and it's going to port and they're going to they're gonna turn it into scrap metal. And, and so the owner of the ship doesn't have the right ballast in the ship and then it gets hit by a wave and gets turned over, right? And now, now up is down. And the whole movie, and by the way, the preacher saves everybody. I don't know if you remember that about the movie, but Gene Hackman playing a preacher is like me playing Gene Hackman. I mean, that's just crazy. But, um, but, but they're trying to convince everybody who, who, that, that, that uh, we got to go to the bo- bottom of the ship, which is now above us. And 99.9% of the people say, you're crazy. We're going to stay right here. And, and then you watch this journey of, of getting to the bottom, which is now the top. That's what your life is as a disciple. That's what my life is as a disciple. Go in the opposite direction. Not everybody's going to applaud you. A lot of people think you're out of your mind. But there's one person who won't, and it's a person that, that set the agenda. The Lord Jesus says, don't try to save your life. Let it go. Let me save it. And he wraps all of this up by asking a rhetorical question. Right? What does it profit a person? If they gain the whole world. And loses or forfeits himself. Jesus is is jolting his listeners into facing reality. That's what a rhetorical question is. It's not a question. It's a statement. It's somebody saying, I think maybe we're missing the obvious here. And let me kind of bring it home to rest. Jesus says life here is only the beginning. Rejecting the Messiah but gaining temporal wealth or fame or power or glory is going to lead to eternal ruin. You can bet your bottom dollar on that. True profit, real life, is found only through giving everything I am to Jesus. So, meanwhile, back at the cocktail party, right? Back at the social event. 
here we are. Somebody says, what about you? Who are you? I am devoted all in recklessly unapologetic follower of Jesus. And I'll gladly accept all that that means. I'll take up the cross of ridicule and shame. I won't go away and I won't be shouted down. I might not be invited to any more cocktail parties, but I'm going to take up the cross of following Jesus. I'll take up the cross of standing on God's word and not bending to conformity when everyone wants me to just believe anything and everything. I'll gladly bear the cross of active, unconditional love for everyone. And I'll reject the notion of using anyone else for my own benefit. I'll gladly pick up the cross of not settling for divisiveness and injustice and oppression that racism can cause in this world. And I will gladly carry that cross so that people will know that the people of God are one and that we are united in Christ. I'll gladly take up the cross of fighting for the weakest and the poorest among us because they are crucial in the eyes of God. I'll gladly take up the cross wherever it leads for his glory and for my good. I'm going to embrace the truth. The way up is down. Let's pray together. Let me give you just a moment to reflect on God's word and then I'll, I'll pray for us. Father, we thank you for this word that the Lord Jesus gave his disciples and uh, through Luke uh, gave to us this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would uh, do your work in our hearts and in our minds. May we not be slow to understand that the way up is down. Giving away uh, the feeble attempts to save ourselves to justify our sinfulness and, and reject you. To live only for our gain uh, at the expense of others. Lord Jesus, I pray that your word would dig deeply into my heart, into our hearts this morning. That as we come to this table, that we would be convicted of our sin. Not that we would despair, but that we would live it up that we would rejoice in what you have done for us and that we would celebrate your cause and that as we go from this place, that we would gladly bear whatever cross you give us because you have borne the ultimate cross that has paid the penalty and the price that our sins deserve. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would minister to us through this sacrament, that your Spirit would touch our lives, that you would nourish our souls as we feed on you, as we believe in you, as we rest in you, as we deny ourselves, we follow you. We pray in your name. Amen.